This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from September 11th, 2022, titled Redeemed by Grace. I hope you enjoy it. God bless. Our scripture this morning is taken from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you'd like to read along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles. On page uh, two, I lost it. That's what happens when I have so many papers up here. 295, that's what I heard. 195, that's what happens when I, I think. I'm grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me. Because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of all uh, full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honored and glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. think that this passage of scripture is one that changes a lot of things in our faith tradition. <laughs> this portion of the letter to Timothy is, is a part testimonial and part doxological. And, and just for the, for the moment, I, I have to, to say it, I've been working for the last two weeks, every free moment I've had uh, working on this paper, specifically talking about hymns. Uh, from the beginning of our formation until today. And the doxology is, is uh, something that we sing every Sunday. We, we call the doxology. But these doxological comments are made throughout all of Paul's writing. You see it in Philippians chapter 2, which we call the Philippian hymn. You see it here at the very end. Who we don't necessarily have to attest that that's Paul, but we say is Paul, describes the powerful conversion experience of the greatest church planter and evangelist in the church. You know him as Paul the Apostle. Now Paul has been a blasphemer. In his own words, he says, a persecutor, a violent man. Yet God's grace 
could reach even to this horrible enemy and transform him into one of the greatest proponents the church has ever known. And then he ends this last part as if it's a praise song, which we would call doxological or doxology, when he says, King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may have heard some of these words in your opening hymn this morning. Now let's talk about that first part. That first part where he brings out his testimony. Testimonies are weird, but in his, it's a sudden burst of praise splashing across the page. As if Paul recalls the peculiar circumstances of his own calling, which he says in verse 11. The glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Though he has founded Christ followers. He hauled them to prison. In his own words, well, in Acts chapter 8, we read that he even drug people out of their homes, men and women, and threw them into jail. But somehow God's enabling grace finally conquers him. And it's in this place that we find this beautiful litany of thanksgiving testimony posture towards and actions towards Christians and ends with the doxology now it's important to recognize that Paul was not a mild manner uh, apostle uh, he, there was there was no quiet resistance there was uh, Paul was going everywhere to devastate the church we know this and if anyone could have been a prisoner to their past, certainly Paul would have been on that short list. Yet the story of Paul's conversion, which is interesting because Paul does not spend a lot of time on this mountaintop experience that the writer of Acts does. Acts has this beautiful story as Paul is walking to Damascus and he struck blind and heard the voice of God or Jesus and asking him, why are you persecuting me? But Paul himself doesn't talk about that. He just talks about this moment that changed his life forever. He says that in that conversion moment, it reminds us of that what we've done in the past has no impact on our being employed by God once we've encountered God's grace. Now, I want to spend some time on that word, grace. We don't do enough with that word. I think sometimes we tend to say the word grace and we use it as a cliche. We talk about it as if it's just a, it's a church word. We throw it out there as if it's okay. But we really don't understand what it means here when it's talking about God's grace. Let me give you an example. Let's say you loan somebody some money. They're having a they're on their luck, they're out on their luck, and they need need a little bit of help. And you you give them some money. And as over time you recognize that this person is doing the best they possibly can, and yet at the end of the day, there's just absolutely no way 
this person's going to ever repay your debt. What we would say is that you extend grace to them and forgive it. The business world gives you grace periods on how you pay your bills. The, the, there's all of these grace words, but they do not come close to understanding the, this word of God's grace. I mean, we have to understand what that means. It's more than a debt. It says that God sees us and knows from the before we were even consumed or conceived that even in that moment we had this place of dirt. There was something about us that God knew we were going to do wrong. God knew it. And even in the midst of that, God gave us this Savior that in our understanding, washes away all of those moments of human actions through a sense of grace. And now we are something different. Paul finally gets it. As he's writing this to 1 Timothy, he's saying to them, listen, this is what I mean. In this place, God has changed me. I am no longer Saul, I am Paul the Apostle. God has changed my life forever. And it's going to take a while for the world to see me as something different. St. Augustine, who was around uh, in the early 4th and 5th centuries, he writes, even in the midst of this, before we even have a Bible, right? Before we even have a Bible, He's trying to understand what God's grace is. And he writes these words, God alone is the medicine that cures the soul. The soul was well able to injure itself, but quite unable to cure itself. When they've so fallen, though, they don't get better. In order to fall sick, they apply themselves to self-indulgence. But in order to get better, they must apply the doctor's services to their health. And so it goes with the soul. <clears throat> God alone is the medicine that cures the soul. Through a place of grace. I don't know why we want to make things simpler than they are. But in this case, it's as simple as you can get. Once you have accepted this lifestyle and you've recognized that you are to emulate Christ, this grace has, uh, has already been given to you. You're just acknowledging it. You're accepting it. There is no one keeping score of all the wrong things you have done and will do in the future. God's grace transcends all the things of humans' records. Like, for example, those of you that have siblings, we keep score whether we want to acknowledge it or not. For uh, in my life, and we think about it, who 
Who holds the record in your family for the most speeding tickets? Well, that would be simple. That would be my brother Luke, uh, probably tied with my brother Adam. And I'm hoping they're watching this at this moment. <laughs> who was who the one that got rounded the most? Well, all six of us would say it was Peggy. And she probably would admit that. But God's grace is not keeping score like we do. I mean, let's be honest with this. How, how do we feel talking about our past life when we share our faith? You know, you've heard me say it a hundred times, and you'll hear me say it a hundred times more. I wasn't always a preacher. The decisions that I made before I felt the calling into ministry were not what we would call Christian. And I've always, ever since I felt the calling into ministry, made it a point to be transparent. Maybe a little too much. I do not want to be put or placed upon some pedestal as the image of God, of Jesus Christ, as a perfect individual. I, like Paul, understand that sense of grace that has been extended to me. What about you? How hard is it for you in talking about your faith with others? Especially when you talk about your past life. That pre-moment before you were today? Where did you find yourself needing Christ's mercy and that, that extension of unlimited patience? I mean, let's, let's be honest. A sense of grace is really about patience. Any of you that work with children know what I'm talking about. It's not that they're wild and crazy. It's just that they need that love and guidance and a sense of grace from that place of love. I think it's important to point out historical references of people that may have experienced that grace that you all might know. The person that wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, John Newton. This person was what we would call every bit of a sailor in his early life. He lived a life that was not necessarily a Christian lifestyle. He drank, he caroused with not necessarily uh, people of fine repute. See how I did that? He had way too many parties that he went to. And the worst part of his existence was as he sold human beings as if they were cattle. Those are his words, not mine. And somehow God put God's self upon his heart and John was changed and realized that in a Jonah-like experience before a shipwreck that God had different plans for him in his life. And he went from being a slave trader to one of the strongest abolitionists the world has ever seen. So strong that it inspires him to write the hymn, Amazing Grace. 
Not all conversion experiences are so dramatic. John Wesley said it was just as simple as finding a place where he felt as though Wesley uh, said that he felt as if God was pulling upon his heartstrings. And he was changed. I think that something that the church needs to do now and in the future is to take opportunities where they will share their stories of conversion. Maybe it's as simple as us getting together and having a fellowship meal and we have somebody that says, I want to talk to you about how God came into my life. And we share those stories together, just like Paul is in his house church with Timothy. Imagine what that would look like in our world where people were unashamed of talking about their faith. I think where the church struggles today is as we do not embrace that phrase of grace and recognize the redemption that comes from it. Those that have had life-changing experiences that are hard to see because we knew what they were like before. And we're cautious of where they're going from today and in the future. But God doesn't want perfect people. God does not ask perfect people and send them out to do the work of the, the world. Jesus himself hung out with people that would not be considered mm, in the highest standards of today's culture, let alone back in the first century. But Jesus challenges us to be the voice of God and to share our testimony with others. So that at some point, we would all be able to have our own doxology. It might not be as beautiful as Paul's and written as eloquently as those of us in the past. But it will be the opportunity where all voices will be able to profess. O God of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.